so it's stuff that you've already heard, things that you really probably have already been taught. But try to remember this is we're starting from biblical theology at the very beginning of this and reviewing some of these important truths that lay the foundation for other marital places, every time there's a marital conflict, you can trace that back all the way back to the garden. Of course, now prior to that, the creation of marriage. So Lord may want to use me to speak to you this morning in some of these particular areas to sort of reiterate the uh, truth about one particular thing or another. Use the jawbone of something. I can't remember the Bible. <laughs> anyway, they probably use me. So, yeah, so I can tell who understands that. Thank you. <laughs> so we're going to go through that, but I had one little sort of a gift for Pastor Jeff. Uh, because marriage and love go hand in hand. Really. So I thought we would talk about this with Pastor Jeff. Help out. Oh, man. Sammy should be here any minute. Come on now. Is Sammy even real? You can't doubt Jason, otherwise you don't get presents. Oh, hello, kids. I hope I got the nice little pony I wanted. Did you get the PlayStation I want? Hey, Sammy, if you're real, then where are all the presents? Well, you see, kids, I really wanted to go the extra mile this Christmas, so I analyzed each of your love languages. Love languages? <laughs> For example, uh, Mallory, your love language is words of affirmation. So, here is your gift. Your hair is the most beautiful hair within at least a one mile radius. <laughs> <laughs> but we're in rural Kansas, there's no one else in a one mile radius. <laughs> Whitney! <laughs> your love language was acts of service, so I donated all of your gifts to charity. Don't you feel a lot better? Technically, yes. <laughs> Stephen, my boy, your love language was quality time. So... <laughs> I'm glad we did this. <laughs> hey, what about me? Oh, Jason, your love language actually was receiving gifts. So, here is a skateboard. <laughs> and uh, an iPod. And a vacation to Hawaii. <laughs> and uh, why don't you take this PlayStation as well? I'm sure that he doesn't want it anymore. <laughs> Kids, what are you doing down here? You don't want Santa to see you. Herman Jones, your love language was physical touch. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night. Oh, oh, oh. Okay, love languages. <laughs> okay, Jeff. Hope you enjoy it. Good. Good. That's good. <laughs> Okay, let's go to Genesis, second chapter. And I actually, I think I actually put that on here, 22. I didn't start with 21. If somebody wants to start with 21 somewhere. And read 21 through 23. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed the flesh in place. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the woman. Excuse me, he brought her to the man. And Adam said, 
This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she has been taken out of man. Okay. So God puts Adam to sleep. And from his rib, he makes Eve. We know this is all pretty fundamental, but with great excitement, he sees the woman for the first time and names her. I thought that was kind of interesting. Bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This language used here um, sort of connotes uh, sort of a blood relatives. I think it is in Genesis twenty nine fourteen. Use the same terminology uh, as a blood relative. So in the Old Testament, that language of biological relationship is really what they're trying to communicate. So blood relatives are the closest of all human relationships. And this phrase in the story of Eve's creation makes the point here about marriage, men and women created at the closest of all human relationships. I'm trying to drive home the point that there's no one really closer, and you, you guys are preaching to the choir, there's no one closer than your own spouse. Um, that's really the whole idea. So, what about the ceremony that brings us from singleness to marriage? You know, right after the pastor says, you, not that it says you can kiss your wife, but it says you can, you know, now you're a husband and wife. Well, now what he's saying, and we can't sort of a, a review of this, where he says there's new loyalties, new obligations that are established in the union of uh, this new relationship. And as a single person, you are sort of orientated towards the origin of your own family, but in marriage, your primary allegiance now has been created to the new family. And this is where the complexities of leaving Cleve that we'll talk about next week. And there's some neat stuff written on leaving Cleve I think you're going to like uh, from uh, Dr. Priolo as well, and I'll try to incorporate some of that. But the new union is so intimate that only um, appropriate language like this would describe the biological relationship. He uses the term one flesh. One flesh. So remember, in just thinking through this process, he puts Adam into an unconscious state, takes from the bone a rib and a piece of Adam's side. And, and it's interesting, all the commentators say the same thing. They said it wasn't just the rib. It included flesh, skin, blood, nerves, and bone, which I really thought that was interesting. He uses the term he created man, but then he builds woman. Uh, there are two different words that are used there when they use the word form. Uh, he built the woman. He created the man. Um, and so he, he sort of made it, formed it out like the clays of, like a, a, a potter would with clay. Uh, but building, he uses, gives greater, greater attention to the woman's creation. He specifically gave more details about women being created from man. And so, again, he talks about this being a delight when he sees her and calls her woman. He's really calling her in Hebrew wife. Um, and he was taking a man, he was making man, and man means husband now, he's in Hebrew. An individual male person would be, the, he means husband in that term. So someone had talked about this, and I don't know which way I read it, but it said that God did not take the woman out of man, man's feet to be stepped on as inferior, nor out of his head to be put as a pedestal to the superior, but from the side close to his heart to be loved. And she was to uh, take her responsibility in this new relationship and to love him and be loved by him. Let's talk about one flesh in the time that we have. Um, I have two definitions on this. One of them is that simply put, it's referring to two becoming one at Mark 10, 9 passage Jesus used. <coughs> 
It's a statement of unity, union or oneness, and it's sort of that's what they use. This unity is an operative word for this entire um, reference. And the second one uh, is living in unified relationship with your spouse as to all of life. All of life. I mean, we're talking in generalities, but when you break this down into pieces where we really live, it means something. It really means something. So all of our goals, all of our faith, our family, and the likeness of Christ and for God's glory. I can't tell you how many conflicts I've ever had you know, been mediating where one flesh was a particular thing and, um, and also leaving cleave was a particular issue. That a person is not living out their marriage in, a, in the sense of unifying it, that all their priorities are through the marriage relationship. People tend to say, well, you do that. Everybody has sort of a, um, for the word the pastor uses all the time, is duplicitous life. They sort of have a single mentality and there's some of their hobbies and they have a single mentality over here or there. But there's never to be, everything is to be to live out through this new relationship, making the wife a priority. Um, yeah, that's the, sing- that's the second one, the likeness. That's forgot to push the button. Let's talk about biblical implications of this. Number one, um, the idea of one flesh also suggests that marriage, and we're going to get to some reflective questions, so I kind of want your input, the time that we have left. Now, is that fall back time? I guess it is, isn't it? No, it's wrong. Okay, does I say we're late for church? I'll tell you that. Um, it suggests this in marriage. One is that there is an orientation of priorities that, uh, to make the spice spouse, I'm sorry, primary. To make it number one, number one in your life, a primary relationship. So it's what's in suggesting. Um, after the marriage, your position you know, towards the rest of your life for change. Marriage is not just an area that you sort of incorporate in your balancing of, of life. Uh, but number two talks about marriage in the context of which all you live life out of. So everything you do. I mean, I, I, I get a kick out of the people. I know it's okay for people to take vacation separately, but some people generally organize their life apart from each other. They just have this partnership, you know, cohabitation kind of mentality uh, in the marriage, in sacred marriage. And God wants to live out life um, in all these areas. We'll talk more about it in a minute. But uh, your approach to work and church and friendships and family, everything is in the context of your marriage relationship, your oneness. You can't be separated from it. Let no man separate this. I'll take an example like a career, which is a big thing. Um, so it's not enough to say that you're approaching marriage as a lawyer. You approach marriage as a teacher or an architect or whatever. I don't know whatever you do. But here's the idea is that marriage, people are not uh, to balance careers with marriage, but to approach a career as a married person. So if I can do this job or I can take this position, how does it affect my marriage? And I'm taking my marriage with me, part of that, that whole process. So you're always you know, uh, contemplating the, the approach and the goals and everything you're doing through a marriage relationship. Now, again, this may think sort of superficial, but if you really unpack all the implications of that, you'll find conflict associated with not understanding, living out these basic principles about marriage. Uh, the third thing is that uh, the three or four, three or four. Um, so marriage is to be approached in relationship or the likeness of Christ and the church. And there's some implications to that. I mean, how close is Christ? When is Christ ever doing anything 
without the church in mind? When is the church ever doing anything without Christ in mind? That's what we're supposed to be talking about. So we're making decisions when we're functioning in our relationship, in our oneness relationship, we have to take our spouse in mind. That means we're sharing ideas, we're getting reflecting you know, feedback, we're not individually making decisions and stuff without reflecting and uh, helping our, our wife or our husband <coughs> see some of these things and get their feedback. That's important, very important. Uh, Ephesians 5 is sort of that mystery this talks about. Therefore, man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and two shall become one flesh. I just think that you could unpack that. I think you could do a whole series on that, what that actually means, and some of the implications of how that's played out in the church and in your own personal life. And it would just go on and on and on. Uh, this mystery is profound. I'm saying that in reference to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see, see that she respects her husband. So that's sort of the theology, the biblical theology behind that. Um, so here's some reflection questions. Here's some reflection questions. Notice uh, those two little illustrations there. Now, you married the man you respected, now respect the man you married, and you you weren't married the woman you love, now love the woman you married. Sort of true, isn't it? Let's look at number one. Um, what are some typical things that may get in the way of you and your spouse in the one flesh? What are some normal, typical things that may get in the way? And maybe you're helping someone in this room. Maybe that's uh, maybe some of the things that you're experiencing or that you can see as uh, snares or stumbling blocks. Uh, what are some of the typical things that get in the way of the one flesh relationship? Anybody? Financial pressure. Say it again. Financial pressure. Okay. Financial pressures. And to unpack that a little bit, what does that mean? Just the stress that it adds to. Okay. So how it affects each one, how you respond to those things, each one. Yeah. So yeah, it could be. Yeah. Just the uh, the overall effect of your relationship and the tension that brings in that pro- process. Amen. Could be. Anything else? Just always value and valuing your idea is the best. So you're not open to the secondary idea because your idea you've already determined. Yeah. Amen. Whether that's from your background or. Is all the all this particular things that we talk about is that typical in the mission field when it comes to your norm, other cultures like the French culture? I mean, literally. they pretty much think they're the best. So, <laughs> <laughs> they think they're the best. It's the French. Yeah, that's, 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 I understand. I'm saying, but I'm just saying when it comes to that dynamic of the husband and wife working together, it's probably you know it's probably nothing new under the sun. Right. Probably the same challenges. Okay, good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything else? What else would challenge the one flesh relationship? What about um, career versus staying at home taking care of the kids? It's almost like like he's got his own work life, career, and responsibilities, and I'm home with the kids, and I have my own routine, and mm-hmm. sometimes it's hard to bring all that together. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it's just working that through that, okay, good, yeah. Understanding the purpose of the roles and... What part you play in the family is, is, yeah, you could get that mixed up. Or it could be lopsided with priorities on one side or the other. Good, very good. Others? Well, to go along with that, when you have, especially when you have young kids and they're growing up and have before they move out, 
you spend so much of your time focusing on the needs of the kids. Mm-hmm. You worry about the kids, what they need, what they want, what they desire, what they got going on. Mm-hmm. And if you're not careful, you very much neglect the needs of your spouse and the marriage itself. Good for you. Amen. That's right. Yeah, you can get in a routine and making, like in our case, we had a baby, a couple late babies, and which kind of, we thought it kind of saved our marriage because we were that our focus was on the kids so much that we kind of laid down the, the war that we were having to uh, take care of the kids. But eventually, you know, when we got saved and then all of a sudden our focus was reoriented to try to train the kids not to do what we were doing. But yeah, that could see that where a lot of people, that's a child-centered home where they, and all of a sudden there are a lot of divorces happening after kids emptiness and then there's no reason to live again. I want to be single again. And people move on because you can see that that's, their whole motive of living. So you have to be careful that you're, well, I'm too busy. i got all these kids. Like in my, my daughter-in-law's case, she has a set of twins. And she had, she had like five kids under five, I think. Or I forgot. But it was, yeah, it was insane. We told her, just drink. Get drunk. It's easier. <laughs> it's easier to get you off the sauce. Just kidding. I didn't tell her to do that. I said, like, that. Well, no. She's like, hey, don't say that. Don't say that. I didn't tell you, <laughs> but anyway, uh, so I mean, you, have, you still have to try to find quality time to get off, and so her and Eddie can go. And so we watch the kids a lot of times, and they would, you know, have some time together. Yes. Um, one spouse living life functioning, uh, having you know, walking in their functional theology, and the other spouse having more of a worldly, secular view of things, and so. Good. Whenever they try to, yep. you know, they don't. And it's kind of like what you said, their opinion, mm. which shouldn't enter, you know, shouldn't be, should be according to scripture, but that much difference would mm-hmm. make it really difficult to um, function in one yep. Because the, you know, the God ordained marriage, the spiritual marriage, is a selfless goal, selfless uh, approach to life. And a worldly, independent one would be a selfish approach to life. So so selfishness and selflessness, it just there's collisions all the time. Then. Absolutely. Um, about spouses making decisions without talking to the other spouse. So that causes conflict because it, it goes against the one flesh because everything you do affects your relationship. And so you're, you're talking through each other, helping each other see this, reflecting on that, trusting each other through the process. How about anything else? You already touched on a lot of it. Yeah. A lot of it goes back to self. I mean, it's just be it taking time to communicate with each other, to hear the other person, to uh, to connect. Because um, when you're not doing that, you just end up, again, moving on that. Um, you're, you're not in work, you're not praying. Um, all those things, self just takes over. Amen. And so the journey of dying to self continues even in the one flesh, doesn't it? So you, you didn't say, well, I've, I've arrived, because I remember Dr. Garrett Higby always said that you have to have a funeral. You should have a funeral before you have a wedding. A funeral for self, before you have a wedding together. And he was saying is that you die to yourself and your individualized kind of thinking and your selfish focus into being one flesh. So yeah, absolutely, you die to yourself. That's really good. Number two, what specifically the challenges um, that we need to, to do. What to see, what does it say? What specifically challenge you from having unity? Anybody want to share anything that's always a challenge to you, or is that some of the same things we talked about? 
What challenges your one flesh more than any single thing? You might be helping someone here. Okay, and this is being recorded for the pastor too. I follow the same conversation. Um, like a lot of times, I want my wife to be unified to my position, or she wants me to be unified to her position, and it's not. And, and I think we'll be unified if she would just think my way. <laughs> or she'll be, we'll be unified if, if I just think her way. And if, even if that happens, it's still not real unity. So even if she thinks my way, it's still going to end up being a faulty outcome. So even if I can convince her, or even if she's just willing to lay down her opinion and ultimately think my way, the end outcome is still going to be faulty. Um, and so we've got to be unified to God's way and ultimately his goal of living. And that's just a really difficult thing for both of us to lay down and say, okay, what is God's way for union? And so, you know, what challenges us to have having unity is actually both of us really being willing to openly lay down our own opinions and our own pride. Like it's not a court of law. Yeah. And we're not on different sides. I think that was one thing that we worked through. Like, like it's not him versus me. Mm-hmm. Like we are together seeking Christ. And so mm-hmm. it's not battle or laws. That's beautiful. Spoke to us mm-hmm. like a good counselor. Mm-hmm. But you know what? Um, I think that's something to it, doesn't it? Is that you find out what pleases the Lord. Ephesians 5.10. And I think that's what we do. We say, okay, I know what pleases me. Now. And that's the sort of my my rub with love languages because it's always my perspective. What I think I need for you to speak my love language. And really, I want to know what is God's love language for us? How do we, how do we stay in touch with God and work through these issues? And I think that's the issue for us. And I think that spoke that pretty clearly. Did you have something? Yeah, I was going to say, one of the big things I think that I've seen is just coming from such different backgrounds with my husband, who my husband was grown, was raised in a home of believers. His father was a pastor, and I did not have that background. I was not raised in a home of believers. Um, and so very much you know, of the world, and that's kind of my background. And so now being a married couple and raising kids, there are things that come in between where well, for my childhood, I thought this was fine, but biblically, no, that's not necessarily appropriate. Um, and then trying to figure out, finding, you know, ultimately what pleases God and not what pleases our parents or what pleases our, our own pride and what we were raised with, but what pleases God. Good, good. I mean, and so if I'm hearing you right, I would say that you're saying that be careful of your own default mechanism, your own default right. system. So you default to something. Right. Are you defaulting towards God? Are you defaulting towards your training in your past, mm-hmm. my parenting? My parenting was to hit people until they stop, you know, stop making noise. Right. And that was my parenting. Right. So, you know, you, didn't, you don't do that anymore. Yeah, but that's wrong. Yeah. So anyway, that, that's what I'm saying is that that's, that's excellent. That's beautiful. Anybody else? Chiming in? Good. Uh, number three, reflective question, and this is a little more specific. Um, so what do, we, what, what do we need to do? What are the obstacles? What specifically do we need to get rid of in order to protect the unity? So this is where we're at. See, a lot of times we say, yeah, we need to do these things, and we reflect on them. We say, yeah, and we have all these great ideas. But what specifically do we need to do and to be aware of or to work on in some areas of our own marriage or in areas that are typical in dividing unity? What specifically we need to do? We, we 
kind of had it up on the, this follows up with Adam, what Adam said, but kind of had it up on the screen earlier, is remembering who the enemy really is. It's not the other person in your marriage. In the flesh, it's the world, it's the devil. Um, and if you're not focusing on others, you know, avoiding those. Yeah. It'll be between you. Amen. No, that's good. It's remembering, because we, sitting down, we treat each other like the enemy. You know, she had a position, I had a position, and, and we battle like the the McCoys and the Hatfields, and we would just battle this out. And instead of Adams, I remember Dr. Adams helped one time, he said to a, he said to the class, and we were in his class, he said, always take all your energy and focus toward a solution rather than blaming each other. And you'll protect your relationship while you solve the problem. And if somebody's guilty, somebody needs to say, I'm guilty. And then somebody needs to ask for forgiveness, ask for forgiveness, and move on. Just work together because it may be you may be guilty this time, they may be guilty next time, but don't treat each other like the enemy. That's perfect. That's perfect. Anybody else? What's, what do we need to work on? What causes disunity in the one flesh relationship? Yep. You know how frustrating it is to fight it out like the Hatfields and the Cores, yeah. and then to ultimately win, and then she's right. Yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I haven't really experienced that at all. <laughs> I can't say that I've really actually been in that place. That's a pretty humble place to be. <laughs> is that what she says? I told you so. Yeah. And so you're crawling back in. And, and so he's like, what is, what's this fact that I crawled back here for? Well, I wanted to tell you you were right and I was wrong. <laughs> no, I, I get it. Yeah. So... That's true. Anybody else? Yeah, yes. I'll just do. Um, so Michelle Fry taught on um, words, and one of the quotes from her pamphlet was, "Self-interest is one of the fundamental heart sins that lie beneath our words." And we're just—it's it, um, it's a lot of flesh battle. Even sometimes I think more than the devil. It's just your flesh constantly wanting to be um, right, wanting to be approved, wanting to be um, whatever. It's yeah. flesh a lot of it. And so Amen. humility. It's, so could you summarize that by saying Just we have to watch our words? Watch our words? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, our words are words. But I just think because words, a lot of times, are motivated by self-interest and, and self-preservation. Okay. And so, you know, self-interest, then you have to die to self again. We're trying about being selfless and true. In our, but our words are critically important. I mean, I, I, I always, the guy taught us, we were always fighting because we had prompter words like you always, you yeah, never, yeah, yeah. I mean, we condemn people and read their hearts, and we were constantly reading each other's hearts, telling each other what they're doing, and we, we just condemn each other and start a big fight and battle. But uh, the firefights would kind of diminish when we got down to the point where we were saying things like, it seems like you're doing this, mm-hmm. it feels like you're doing this, or it looks like you're doing this, but I could be wrong. And those were sort of our little ways we would kind of prime, you know, test the territory a little bit and wade into the water instead of starting a big battle. And we would just say, it seems like it. And you know it is in your heart, but you have to say it seems like it because you don't know everything. You don't know the motives. So sometimes words really matter. Somebody else? Yeah. To follow up with what James said, I mean, the greatest enemy in my marriage is not my wife. It's me. Um, the lack of focus on our heart is deceitful mm-hmm. above all things. And that's really my thing. You can know it. And, you know, when I think I have it, figured out or I think I know what's going on or there's an argument or disagreement I should be asking the Lord to reveal my own heart to me. The most dangerous thing that can happen to me is for the Lord to leave me to myself. 
and I often find myself praying that God would protect me from myself mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. I am my greatest enemy but for myself I will destroy myself Amen. and wow. um, I think I just you know when those times especially when it gets heated and you're in the moment sometimes the greatest thing that can happen to me is just to have some time to, you know you know, to walk away, not in anger or in frustration, but just to ask the Lord to examine my heart and help me to see what's going on in myself. That's beautiful. Yeah. Wow. I can't really see you as the enemy, though, but it just, I mean, it could be. I mean, I'll talk to Trish later, but I'm starting to think that you're an enemy. You know? I have some kind of heat. If he is going to heaven, nobody goes to heaven. It's just amazing. Wow. Anybody else? Something else that would be helpful for someone. Things specifically we can do to protect our one flesh. I think I'm also really creative when it comes to motive. Like we are saying, like, so if I think I've got it all figured out, and so how often we come to a conflict and I'm like, well, I know what happened, you know, and you're ready to list it, and you don't even have all the facts, you know, and so being mm. open to just like, hey, maybe I don't, what, you know, asking the questions, you know, was this, did this, you know, like, because a lot of times we have a discussion, you're like, okay, so what What was really the point of this discussion in the mm -hmm. first place that we've gotten so far? But, like, realizing, okay, we didn't even have all the facts to know. And then you realize, oh, it really wasn't the way I dreamed it up, you know, like this whole scenario, it wasn't really even at all true. So. Probably the majority of our conflicts are misunderstanding. <laughs> Yeah, that's how I try to I try to shift blame to that too all the time. It's just a misunderstanding. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, but I understand what you're saying. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. Well, some of the things we have to do is we protect our words. We also um, we, we become good listeners, so we can try to resolve conflict. We, um, we confront the issues before they become a conflict. So if you see it's something wrong. You're having parenting issues, and you've seen some people responding differently. Can you sit down? Can we talk about this, and you know, talk about it and share it while there's there's people's tempers aren't up and they aren't defensive, and talk so resolve conflict before it becomes a big conflict. Um, deal with your own self-centeredness, and walk in your own faith. You know, get your journey going, even if they're not following. So keep working on yourself spiritually, and leave their your spouse to God. You're, you're constantly you know, speaking into their life, you're infecting their life, and you do the best you can to um, you know, model Christianity if they're not modeling, if they're not walking in the light. But keep walking and being obedient regardless. Amen? Uh, anything else? Yep. This is just for me. And, and oh, boy, be careful. I'm throwing you under the bus now. Go ahead. It's not about me. It's not about me. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Kevin. I always get in trouble with that. Because <laughs> uh, I have learned to not react to things, you know, and say things very quickly and whatever first comes to my mind to say, but to stop and really evaluate and make sure that what I'm going to say is going to be helpful and it's going to keep me from, you know, backing myself into a corner that I can't get out of because of what I've said. And so just to stop and just reflect a moment before I respond to something Good. and take into consideration, is this going to honor God or is this just me wanting to 
get points and, and win the war or win the battle. Yeah, so it's good for younger people, but for us at our age, to be just wait five I'm minutes, we forget the very <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever had like a situation where someone else throughout your day disrespected you? You don't even realize when you come home, and you're trying to get that respect in, in another way. That happens sometimes and I'm not even aware of it. And I'll think about it later and I'm like, this situation happened and I brought it home and then tried to, you know, because I was feeling that, you know, emotion and carried it out and tried to get that respect that I was trying to get it over here. And I can't even get it at home. Why am I not getting it there? So okay. That kind of sense. Yeah. Sometimes some of, like, I have crazy family members that are just crazy makers, but they just throw a lob <laughs> grenade in every conversation. And uh, and I'll carry that over into our conversation sometimes. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, no. That, and sitting I, um, being uniform officers, we'd come home and we would take everything out on each other. You know, we this is our place to get even. You can't get even out there, okay? Not all the time. And so, <laughs> I, mean, I, I just heard about that. <laughs> Anyway, so, uh, but we give each other permission to say, whoa, whoa, hold on, son. You know, they, I know you're disrespected today, but this is not the right place. You know, after we became Christians, we, then we would confront each other, so we gave each other permission to, to confront. So have your wife, give, you know, give her permission and talk about it and say, listen, and when I start doing that, demanding respect, just remind me so I can deal with it. You, so the, I, that, the way to get rid of that is, is be ready to forgive quick. So be ready to quick, you know, forgive those who, who offend you. If they're not people you can even confront because they're lost and they're designed to offend you, okay? But that's good. That's good stuff, James. Great. Um, anything else? I think we're yep, we're done. Okay. Somebody close in prayer. Any final thoughts, Pastor Jeff? Anything? Well, let's pray for Pastor Jeff. All right. Great. Why don't you do that? And pray. Thank the Lord for this, and then pray for him preaching the word today. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for your word, for your design, uh, and, uh, and Lord, for revealing it to us. Uh, Lord, thank you for calling us, for loving us first, for um, giving us the spouse that we have. Um, uh, what a precious gift. And, uh, Lord, I pray that uh, you'll help each of us uh, as we go ahead this week to... Uh, uh, be selfless in, uh, in how we approach each other, Lord, to, uh, to seek you first, uh, to walk together towards you. Uh, Lord, I pray for uh, uh, service today. I pray for uh, Pastor Jeff as he, uh, as he preaches. Uh, Lord, I uh, just pray that uh, you'll speak through him, Lord, that uh, your word will reach somebody today, that you'll call them, that you'll place that, uh, uh, that word in their heart, Lord, and won't let go. Lord, I pray that. Uh, um, all that we do here today will please you and uh, Lord, that uh, you continue to guide us in, in the direction you have us go. I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.